Welcome to a podcast of Wyoming Chronicle, where we tell the stories of Wyoming in a weekly program of interviews with newsmakers, artists, innovative thinkers, and unique Wyoming personalities. To learn more, visit us at wyomingpbs.org. Mark Younging's dream of cycling across the United States appeared to end in 2002 when he was diagnosed with COPD and placed on supplemental oxygen 24 hours a day. Well, the dream survives. Mark Youngie, his wife Ardeth, and their cross-country cycling adventures, next on Wyoming Chronicle. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support. I'm Craig Blumenshine from Wyoming PBS, and it's my pleasure to be joined by Mark and Ardith Youngie. Welcome to Wyoming Chronicle. Thank you both for joining me this evening. How are you? Thanks, Craig. You know, first of all, you guys just celebrated 55 years of marriage. Am I reading that correctly in my notes here? That's right. That's Where right. did you two meet? Where did you two, how did you find each other? Well, we met in Denver. Uh, I was working as a medical secretary in a hospital in Denver, and Mark was doing his student teaching, and he visited the apartment house where where I lived, and he was there visiting a, another college student from Western State, and we met on the landing of an apartment house, and um, we took a shine to each other right away, and from then on, it was just the two of us. Ar yeah. Ardeth was a medical secretary, and she had a white uniform on with white shoes, and she's got these sparkling blue eyes. <laughs> and, you know, I was ready. I think I was ready because I looked at her and I know I thought, I wonder what it would be like to be married to her. Well, you found out. And here we are 55 years later. And you two have lived a life of adventure. And, Mark, the reason why I really wanted to visit with you and Ardeth both, quite frankly, is when I first moved to Cheyenne four years ago, one of the first things that I did is I subscribed to the Wyoming Tribune Eagle and then started reading about these two people who rode their bikes all over the country, even though, Mark, you're on oxygen all the time. And I just found that, found that to be inspirational, quite frankly, to me. And, and that's what I wanted to kind of have you share with our viewers. So take us back really a long time ago, Mark. Let's start with your part of the story. Have you been a cyclist for a long time? Is this something that you've really enjoyed doing? Well, I guess like most kids that were raised in the 50s and 60s, I wanted a bike. Other kids had bikes. I wanted a bike because bikes gave me freedom, right? And uh, so I did have a bike. I've always liked bikes, but it wasn't until, oh, I guess I'd been talking about going across country for a long time. Ardeth says, she told me this morning, she says, you know, you've talked about this for a long time. So, uh the problem was, is I, I developed COPD because of blood clots in my lungs. And uh, 
I guess in the process of rehabilitation, I thought maybe I could uh, really fulfill my dreams and maybe I could actually go cross country, but I'd have to do it on oxygen. And um, she says, well, Mark, you, how are you going to do that? We don't have a lot of money. And well, let, me, let me interrupt you there for just a minute, Mark, because when you had that diagnosis, I mean, I can't imagine how I would have felt, but I've got to believe that it would have been, it would have been hard. It would have been, it would have been maybe de depressing to me for a while. How did you, how did you pick yourself up to want to do something, something so challenging? Uh, I think it came from partly genetics, you know, uh, I don't think any, first of all, I don't think anybody does anything on his own. I think it's, it's other people. If it wasn't for other people, I wouldn't be alive here talking with you. Uh, I've had three open heart surgeries, hit both hips replaced. I have COPD and believe me, it's other people that keep you alive. But when I, uh, when I got COPD, I pretty much thought life was over for me, Craig. I thought, you know, well, I might as well get used to this because I'll be sitting in my recliner with the remote watching TV and breathing oxygen. But there was something in my genetic background. My father always wanted to see what was over the next hill. And I loved travel and adventure. And uh, we used to have a set of National Geographics when I was a kid, and I read a lot of those. So uh, I, I always had a sense of adventure. And I thought, well, I guess if I'm ever going to do this, I better do it now because I'm not going to last that long. Artith, how did you feel when your husband got that diagnosis and well, I, I was having these feelings? Sure. I remember that Mark and I had often talked about doing foreign travel, you know, at a certain point in our lives. And, um, you know, when your spouse has a diagnosis like this, it doesn't it's a depressing thing, not only for him, but it also was depressing for me because I saw our whole life changing at that time. And, um, you know, you, you, you have a depression for what you've lost that, you know, that you will no, be, no longer do things like you had planned. And, um, but, you know, I guess we are just the kind who just are going to persevere no matter what. And when he started talking about biking across country, I said, we can do it, but we'll just do it in smaller segments, you know, and I'll, we're a team and I'll be there. I'll be the sag wagon and we'll just do it, you know. And then when he got a hold of a company, things changed for us in that respect too. And this was, um, my notes tell me that you were diagnosed, Mark, in 2002. This was over 20 years ago or almost 20 years ago. I should right. Say. There's not many people, I don't think, on oxygen for 20 years, but I consider myself, first of all, lucky. And secondly, it, medical science and third lifestyle. If you're, if you're really active, I think you can do anything you want to do. I want to tell our viewers when I was trying to chase Mark down, I would call and Every time it seemed like I tried to get in touch with him, it was like, well, wait, he's at the YMCA working out. So you'll have to call at a different time. <laughs> so I can attest how, how active, how active you are, Mark. So, so, okay. So um, you can't travel around the country using what most people understand. I think many people with COPD have is as compressed oxygen. There has to be a different way that you are able to, 
get around. Mark, can you can you tell us about that and 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 tell us what what is in that little box there? This is about a three and a half to five pound canister of liquid oxygen. These are have gone out of not gone out of style. I shouldn't say that, but the federal government refused after some scandals in the oxygen industry to reimburse the durable medical supply dealers, oxygen dealers for liquid oxygen because they thought they were getting ripped off. And I think they were getting ripped off. So they no longer reimburse oxygen dealers for these uh, for liquid oxygen. As a result, people aren't as portable. This is the key. Portability is the key to getting around on a bike, walking or whatever. And I still see people pushing those sea tanks on wheels and it drives me nuts. I mean, because I'm thinking, don't you know you can be portable? Well, you can no longer be portable on this stuff because it's they're scarce as hen's teeth to find these things. But you can be portable with a battery powered uh, oxygen concentrator. And I encourage people to do that. Go ahead, Ardeth. Were you about to say something or? Oh, I was gonna say way back when he first had to go on oxygen, he had a very, astute, smart doctor. And she recognized that he was an active, healthy person. And she put him on liquid portable oxygen from the very, very beginning. And that made all the difference in all of the things that Mark's been able to do. You know, I, I, and I, I can attest to that because I've, I've witnessed, um, you know, Mark has shown me the setup at home. And it takes a, a little more, you know, you have to store liquid oxygen, as I understand it, at a very cold temperature. And um, there are some, um, it is more expensive. But it seems to me that it would be advantageous to folks to not be tethered either to um, compressed oxygen or those big machines that have the long um, tubes that they can just walk around their home in and that's it with oxygen. So I'm just curious, Mark, do you then advocate to uh, try to, you know, help people get back into this world of more portability with their with their oxygen? Oh yeah, exactly. I'll stop people at Walmart uh, or at the Y or wherever I might see people who are using um, oxygen and saying, why are, you, why are you using that? Don't you know that you can be more portable? Take us back, Mark, to when you stepped your foot in the Pacific Ocean oh. and you, <laughs> you, were, you were starting this journey and uh, you grabbed some water and uh, you had, you had a long ride in front of you. Both of you did. What, yeah. what were you thinking? What was going through? Your well, we, we knew it was 3,500 miles to go from San Francisco to, to New York. Um, and I think our biggest obstacle was the Sierra Nevadas. Getting over that was, was significant. But down on Baker Beach in uh, uh, San Francisco Harbor, is where we first gathered up a little jar of water. I mean, uh, filled our, our jar of water because the tradition is you take, you take your front tire and you put it in one ocean and you take the other tire and put it in the other ocean when you get there. And then you pour the water out in the Pacific water into the Atlantic water or vice versa. So that was what we were doing down on Baker Beach. But the problem was, is that I stood there and Arta took pictures for so long that that I washed all the lubrication off my chain <laughs> and, and the bike cassette. So we had to get it re-lubed. Salt water just took it all away. And 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 here you go. You, you have to get over the, the range. You um you go through Truckee and you have a story about that. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, we were standing in the line at the post office trying to mail a letter. 
And there was a kid in this, there was two lines and there was a kid in the other line and he just kept looking at me and just kept looking at me. And I guess I, I was self-conscious enough to go, well, okay. And I turned to him and I guess I was probably tired. I said, look, I'm on oxygen. Okay. This is oxygen. I have to breathe oxygen. And he kept on looking at me and he went, but everybody needs oxygen. <laughs> well, how profound is that? Everybody needs oxygen. Art, if you are the queen of maps, am I getting that right? <laughs> I really enjoy maps. Now, I, now I, I have to interject something here. I have, a, I have a friend who is a great cyclist, and he's warned me. Um, he knew that I was going to visit with you, and his advice was ask her that maps are not always correct and they are not a hundred percent accurate are have you ran into that number one well our big challenge on the first trip across country was that we wanted to follow the old lincoln highway nice so you don't just follow the side roads or so forth you actually take the old lincoln highway and co coordinate it with the new roads that they're using right now and it quite often followed the Interstate 80 route, kind of in that direction. But um, as a map person, I took and took the modern day map and I would highlight the old Lincoln Highway. And then I'd go to the copy machine and I would make two copies so that I would have a copy in the vehicle and Mark would have a copy in his bike. And that's how we coordinated the route that we were on. And we would set a designated plot place for um, meeting up again somewhere down the road. And this was before, I mean, we weren't carrying cell phones with us on this trip, were we? Not the first year. We Well, we had cell phones, but the, the connection was yeah. not good. Coverage we wasn't the best. We sometimes lost track of each other and I would get all worried. Is so, he so, behind me or is he behind me? Well, in other words, he got lost. You were you knew where you were and, and he got <laughs> lost. Is that how that went? Hey, listen, I, I got lost. And so the trip wasn't really 3,500 miles. It was probably 30. <laughs> but, you know, I have to tell you, the only place I really, really got lost was right here in Laramie County. You know, now, how does that work? Well, I was trying to follow the U.S. 30 route to Pine Bluffs. And uh, you have to go underneath the interstate. And the first turn off to your left after you go into the interstate going south is the road I should have taken. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, that that's just an on ramp. So I'll keep going. And I wound up close to Hereford, Colorado before <laughs> I finally <laughs> turned around. Oh, that, that's really funny. <laughs> what do you think about when you ride, Mark? What, what's going through your mind? Because, um, you know, I've often passed cyclists, you know, when I am, am driving throughout Wyoming and I'm or throughout anywhere and I'm listening to a podcast or maybe an audio book or something. And I've always wondered, you know, what are those guys thinking sure. about? Sure. Well, my son, you know, rides a bike too. He teaches art in San Francisco and he rides to the top of Twin Peaks, which is the high point in San Francisco about every day. And he listens to whatever podcast he wants to listen to, but he listens to music. And he doesn't understand how I can ride without listening to something. But I'm such a visual person, and he is too, but I'm such a visual person that I want to I just soak in everything that's around me. 
And that's one of the great things about biking is, is you're able to soak in those little micro environments that you're going through and to, to feel the rubber on the road, to smell what's out there in the air. And I've always enjoyed doing that. And so it takes up more of my attention seeing what I'm seeing. You see other people when you're out. You see other people biking when you're out. And I'm sure you share stories and I'm sure you share advice. What's the best advice you've gotten from another cyclist along the way, Martin? Do you, anything come to your mind? Oh, nothing, nothing exactly comes to mind. I'm inspired by people who do things that are greater than I've done. I'm inspired by those folks. They're usually a lot younger people, but as far as advice goes, you know, mostly they just say, keep on trucking, keep on biking, keep on pedaling. Uh, you know, this is, it's worth, it's worth doing. And life's, uh, life's a journey, you know, there is no path, life is the journey. I have a friend whose favorite saying is that, and, and I think it's so true. So I don't know if there was any specific advice. It's a good thing we had bike mechanics along the way. Speaking of which, how fast can you change a flat tire? Oh, don't ask me. I only changed one of them. No way. Yeah, yeah. We were on top of Donner Pass. Wow. And we're coming, uh, Ardeth had already passed me and was down at Truckee waiting for me. And at the top of Dunner Pass, I had a flat. And so all I did was to ring her up on my cell phone and say, can you come back and pick me up? At that time, I had an extra bike in the van and we were driving a Volkswagen van. I had an extra bike and she came all the way back from Truckee up on top of the mountain. We put the flat tired bike in the van got out the other bike and i i coasted on down to truck e wow wow that was a really a big celebration for us because that was the first mountain range that mark biked over and when he made it across donner pass i think he realized at that time we could make it across any mountain range in the united states i want to just um tell our viewers some of the places you've been, and then uh, maybe you can um, give us some of the highlights here. Um, you've talked about your New York to Newfoundland, San Francisco to Vancouver, to New York City to Charleston, Charleston to Key West, Homer, Alaska to Anchorage, Vancouver to Prince George, British Columbia, Anchorage to Whitehorse, um, Whitehorse to the Yukon, Yukon Territory. Is it, the, is it the Natchez Trail? Is Natchez. that pronouncing that correctly? Um, and that's Nash near Nashville, Tennessee. Is that right? Right. Right. Goes from Nashville, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi. The the K A T Y, the Kansas City to St. Louis, um, the Kansas and Texas Railway Trail, which is one of the longer trails, or maybe the longest rails to trails. Um, the Mickelson Trail, beautiful trail here in the Black Hills, the Erie Canal Trail um, in 2019, and then the uh, first leg of the Green River route. And um, you want to continue doing that route, um, follows the Mississippi headwaters until you reach New Orleans here. Holy cow, you guys. Um, Mark, I do want to interject here because I think it's awesome. Um, you're now using an e-bike. An e um, so do I. And tell our viewers um, what that is and, and how that's helped you just, just a little bit, if you would. Well, first of all, when you, when you uh, go through that litany of trips that we've taken, you can do a lot of things if you live long enough, right? Uh, still, I think it's impressive. There's, there's so much planning. Um, you live in Cheyenne, Mark, and I know 
what the weather's like here in the wintertime. And I don't know how you prepare for these trips, but you do. And it's, and that's awesome. Well, it sure isn't riding on Cheyenne snowy streets. I'll tell well, you. yeah, I know. And it takes, it takes some, it takes some, some grit to, to do that. And I, and I appreciate that. So, so what are some of those, the, the, the highlight trips and, and the e-bike um, um, discussion here, and then we'll have to wrap it up, unfortunately, because I think we could talk all day. Oh, we could easily. Well, I guess at, at uh, some point I had expressed to Ardeth enough times that I was getting tired, that I was fatigued. Uh, she finally said, well, why don't you just get an electric bike? And I thought, no, 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 no. I want to use my own legs. That's cheating. Well, finally, she convinced me to go to a, a bike company. It's called the High Bike. And it, it, uh, its headquarters were in Simi Valley, California, which is in the LA area. And I talked to the bike president and said, look, if, if you give us a bike, I'll advertise your bike for you. And uh, he said, well, which one do you want? I said, I want your best bike. He said, no, you don't. You don't want my best, best bike. So he took me out in the parking lot and he gave me the bike that I currently have. And I turned on the electricity, turned on the battery, and I rode around the parking lot and I was a born again bicyclist because it felt like somebody had their hand in the small of my back and was pushing me forward. And I went, wow, this is great. So I think bicycling was reborn inside of me when I got my electric bike. Um, and now, you know, kids are riding electric bikes. They're using them as mountain bikes. Yeah. Uh, I think the next step for me is a three-wheeled tricycle powered by battery. Nice. Artif, do you do you ride a little bit, Artif? Or are, are you um, in the shag wagon the whole time? No, I don't ride as much as he does. What we do quite often is I will ride a short distance with him when we have a trail. And then what I do is I turn around and get the vehicle and catch up to him again. Mm -hmm. Mark wants to go every single mile from dot to dot. He doesn't want to miss an inch and it doesn't bother me. I just want to do a little bit, but um, I don't ride nearly as much as he does. But um, when I'm not riding, I have extra time. And so I get sometimes get a chance to visit museums and thrift stores all over the place. I get a chance to see historic sites that sometimes he isn't able to see when he's on the route. But um, it's it's just part of the adventure. Your favorite, if you have to reduce all of your adventures down to a favorite route that you've been able to do, not necessarily maybe your your most um, important accomplishment, but your but your most favorite route. Where's it been? You know, Craig, I knew you'd ask that question. Why did I know you'd ask that question? Because you're a bicyclist, probably, but. I think I got to thinking about this the other day and I thought, you know, the, the, the country, the North American continent is great. We've been up on both up and down both coastlines from Alaska to Mexico and from Newfoundland to Key West. And we've been across the country and we biked in other states. And I have to tell you, you know, every place we've been has had its unique aspects. There's all these micro environments. Um, I don't think it'd be fair to tell you which states I like. No, 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 wait. This is the this is like a politician answering one of my questions. Mark. I'll <laughs> let you off the hook here. Okay. I'm going to press you just a little bit. Okay, no, no, that's fair enough. Um, I, th I think the Erie Canal Trail from Buffalo, New York to Albany 
was the most scenic for me. Just to follow that historic canal that was dug by hand and with horses and, and see the beautiful upstate New York, the rural New York, and to visit with, with rural and local people, just, just to follow that path for 363 miles, it was, it was a great experience. Very, very nice. My favorite is the Katy Trail in Missouri. I loved it because you don't have to compete with any kind of traffic at any point. The scenery is so varied. You end up right next to the Missouri River, and it is just a pleasure to ride. Before I let you go, your, your, your favorite meal every night, Mark, when you're riding is what? Oh, well, you know, before we go on these trips, Artis makes 24 burritos. We have burritos for breakfast. <laughs> but for evening meal, it, it varies. You know, it, uh, it, it seems to always be preceded by a bottle of beer. That always is sort of the reward, you know, to have a drink of beer. And then after that, it could be whatever Artis fix. She fixes our meals because, frankly, we don't go to a lot of restaurants. We don't have time. We're too tired. You know, we've been in a lot of motels on that first trip, a lot of motels. We didn't have time to get into the spa. We didn't have time to go to the swimming pool. We were just, we just flopped. Well, that made a difference when we got the camper. Oh, yeah. The pickup camper. More, more self-sufficient and you can kind of plan and, and, and mm -hmm. be ready. Yeah. For the last decade, that's what we've been using, camper pickup. Well, congratulations to you both. Here's to many more. Um, what's on tap for this summer? Uh, the second leg of the Mississippi trip, we started last year at uh, uh, the upper Mississippi at its headwaters, Lake Itasca, where it starts. And we made it down not quite to St. Paul, Minneapolis. So now the second leg we'll do this summer and get as far as Iowa, let's say, or, or a little bit into Iowa, maybe cross the river and see what the trail is like in Illinois and Wisconsin. Well, best of luck. I hope that trip goes as well as all of your other adventures have. I think that um, you, you both are quite an inspiration and I can't thank you enough for joining thank us you. on Wyoming Chronicle. Thanks, Craig. It's been fun. Funding for this program is made possible in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, helping Wyoming take a closer look at life through the humanities, thinkwhy.org, and by the members of the Wyoming PBS Foundation. Thank you for your support.